Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast. Each week, the editorial team at Hotel Analyst gather to discuss three key stories of the last week or so that we've spotted in the world of hotel investment. And if you like what you hear, you can find out more and read uh, more of what we produce at hotelanalyst.co.uk. Gathered around the desk of Insight with me this week are Andrew Sankster, the editorial director, and Catherine Dogrell, our perspective editor. I myself am Chris Bowne, the web editor. We're coming into results season, and uh, this week we'll be talking about some results from a couple of uh, European hotel groups. Uh, there'll be more to follow in coming episodes covering the uh, international hotel brands, no doubt. So let's start by taking a look at uh, the news from Scandinavia, and in particular now what is one of Europe's largest hotel landlords, Pandox. Catherine, you've had a look over their second quarter figures. Uh, do you want to tell us a bit about how they're thinking and how they're performing? Uh, yes, well, they're performing very well. They are seeing signs of maturity in the um, in the European hotel markets. And anyone who's been in the Marlene bar after about three o'clock in the morning in Berlin can dispute that as much as they like. But maturity, it seems, is coming into the market and they're seeing a little bit of tension around sort of Copenhagen, Heathrow, places which may or may not be leaving the European Union or may or may not be oversupplied with hotels, but that's to be expected just about everywhere. And um, so they're looking at what they're going to do from now on and enjoying a spot of diversification, which is keeping them away from Copenhagen and places like Heathrow. And um, we had an interesting chat with Anders Nissen and about what he might want to do next. And I know other people are looking at what they might want to do next as well. And uh, he was talking about possibly moving into hostels or alternative or things with beds. Not now, not now. People who are trying to sell hostels um, don't give him a knock. At the moment, he's still looking at other exciting cities um, where they already are and possibly the US, he said, although that's a little bit too branded at the moment for them. And we all know that Pandox has opinions about brands, um, which has been very exciting for the brands which they deal with. So, yes, interesting to see one of the big owners um, taking a kind of a, a similar investment view as some of the new investors coming into the sector, which is there's potential future money in them, their hostels, student housing, economy, hotels, things with beds. Uh, so that's intriguing. And in the meantime, still lots of fun for Pandox. What else will they buy? Other, other news we've seen this week, things are coming onto the market, as I believe we're going to get onto. Maybe they'd like to look at that. Mm. Fun at Pandox. Hmm. The Danish beer brand Carlsberg is binning its slogan, probably the best lager in the world. It's admitting that, in fact, it's just horrible lager fizz. Um, but I think in the absence of that being held by Carlsberg, Pandox could have a good shout at saying they are the smartest, they're probably the smartest hotel owner in Europe, maybe even the world. Um, I think they've done a very good job with what they're, what they're doing and what they're about. And the key reason for that is their focus, um, uh, and their understanding of the niche they are focused on now but what's interesting with them is they're gradually moving beyond um, the, the, the narrowness which they initially started out with so to begin with they were just going to be just Scandinavia but now um, Scandinavia is, is less than half of their overall market value in fact a third is in Germany and a fifth is in the UK they've even got a made a little foray into Canada and similarly as Catherine's just remarked in terms of their diversification into other accommodation segments they are looking at moving beyond that sort of 
upper mid scale where they're positioned maybe it'll take a few years but already they've got Meininger on their brand roster and I think they'll be adding more of the hostel brands and maybe some other accommodation types such as service departments too um, and it's, it's sort of a bit of a paradox perhaps that you're saying well hang on a minute they've had the success of being focused and so supremely focused if they become less focused is there a risk that they're going to lose their edge well I'm not sure that's the case I, I, I think if anything they could become even more powerful and even more dominant owner than they are already by by spreading their wings and diversifying this way because what they're retaining the focus on is the understanding of the operational real estate piece which underpins their investment strategy and they've gone from being a pure lease orientated organization they now look at management contracts and they even own and operate sometimes under a franchise brand sometimes under their own um, brand Berlin Berlin in Berlin um, being an example of that 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 latter one um, and I, I think there's there's much more to come out of this company and I think it's it's very interesting that we're finally seeing the emergence of on the owning side something to truly rival the players existing big players we have on the brand side from a Scandinavian company that owns hotels to one that operates them and uh, what happens when a new boss comes in well quite often that new boss feels the need to shake things up and it looks like that's what's happening at Scandic hotels uh, Catherine you've been listening to the new boss's comments and uh, perhaps you can fill us in uh, yes, I mean, it never hurts to point out, of course, that Scandic very closely involved with Pandox. Um, so, <laughs> for no reason, no reason that we can, we could think of, um, or no conjecture would be terrible, I think, at this point. But so anyway, it turns out Scandic are, are looking to exit 15 hotels which don't contribute financially, said the new CEO. Um, <clears throat> and so we'll be intrigued to see what happens to this. This isn't the first time we've seen Scandinavian um, companies getting out of things which don't contribute financially. You'll all re uh, recall, of course, that the then Residor got out of quite a few park-ins in uh, the UK, if memory serves, and it served them very well. And uh, Scandic are anticipating this is going to be just as delightful to them as they sort out their estate. Um, you'll recall over previous years, it's grown quite a lot. Um, they acquired a big chunk of Restel in Finland and all this kind of thing, and now they're looking to just shine it up a little bit, make it a bit nicer, and who knows who they'll sell it to. Sell it? Oh, maybe they won't. But, uh, but maybe they will, and they will buy it. I'm not going to go any further into that at this point. <laughs> What's interesting with Scandic is it's trying to figure out exactly where they are in, the, in, the, in terms of what brand segment they're in, what chain scale segment they're in. So if you look at SDR, um, the data people, um, they put them in the upscale. Um, I'm not sure they're upscale, but I, equally often people lump them in with the economy segment. I'm not sure they're economy. They're somewhere in that sort of mid-scale-y, mid-scale piece which all sort of blends into one and I think from a consumer perspective these are arbitrary ways that we we look at it um, on the industry side um, just are not relevant because I think if you're a consumer you just as like to stay in a travel lodge or a, a, a Scandic or a Premier Inn and if you look at how Premier Inn has evolved now it's moved way significantly away from travel lodge in terms of perhaps travel lodge could be seen as a as a pure economy brand I, I think it's a stretch now to describe Premier Inn as a as an economy brand I think they've moved more up market and I would put them more in the mid scale and perhaps Scandic in the upper mid scale I don't know I think there's a, a 
quite close crossover between Scandic, between Premier Inn, between Motel One. Well, I think there might be a deal to be made there, Catherine. No, I don't think so. They need that two billion. They need it. They need it for other reasons. <laughs> the other thing that um, looking at the presentation that came with these these half year results, um, they were talking at the they identified five things they needed to do, and um, the first three on the list I think were all perfectly sensible that is you know it's not just about rooms it's about F&B and these other aspects um, of revenue generation although obviously rooms are the the biggest slice of of, of that revenue Um, as well as this focus on non-rooms revenue um, it was a focus on improving capital efficiency um, and it was of course also as we've already mentioned in terms of the portfolio review uh, moving out of leases where they're simply the rents are too high they're over rented and they're not going to make any profit so that all makes sense and i think that's very doable um, for a company of the size of scandic the next two things on on the list of five i think which is going to be a challenge for a company of the size of scandic is the focus on international guests and the digitization of the customer experience Uh, it, it I think it has to be a question mark as to whether when you're this sort of regional chain, um, do you have the resources to be able to invest sufficiently to truly drive um, international guests and truly drive um, success in the digital arena? I I think that's questionable. Um, And perhaps you can buy those services in, but then you're certainly not going to have that as one of your secret sources. Um, And and I, I think perhaps... Perhaps there's a vulnerability here for chains of the size of Scandic. And my expectation would be that these chains are consolidated over the next five to ten years. And from Scandinavia, let's look a bit more broadly across the whole of Europe, uh, which is famously less with uh, franchise brands than uh, say the, the American market uh, but the report comes to us telling us that uh, franchises are moving ever more across the uh, across the, the European marketplace and uh, as an illustration of that there's a, a tranche of hotels available from Louvre hotels which they're selling on a sale and franchise back basis. Catherine do you want to run us through what the latest moves are? Um, yes, Louvre has bought a portfolio of eight hotels to market in Europe, and six of them are subject to franchise agreements, so that's exciting fun for them. And apparently, according to HVS, we are up to the glorious heights in Europe of 40% branded. <laughs> so it's coming along, it's coming along. Um, so growing from a third a decade ago, so in 150,000 years, we will be up to the heady heights of the US. In the meantime, Fun times here at Louvre. Who will buy? Who will buy this portfolio? It features, excitingly, things in Germany. And in case anyone's looking there, um, and available all over the place. So, yes, once again, even though the market is meant to be at some kind of peak, there's still a lot of enthusiasm for transactions in Europe. And we anticipate, and in fact hear, that there's plenty of people willing to throw their caps in a ring for these particular hotels. So, still busy, busy. And uh, franchises are go. I blame the institutions. Mm. It, the HVS report, I think, was very interesting reading. If you look at the growth of franchising in Europe and um, how, how evolved it has become, I mean, it's not a surprise to to learn that Wyndham and Choice are 
well, in Choices' case, it's 100% franchising. In Wyndham's case, it's 97% franchising. It's not uh, surprising to see them um, so heavily exposed to it. It's perhaps also not surprising to see Accor heavily exposed to franchising, given, it, given its concentration in the economy um, end of the marketplace with the likes of Ibis. Um, I think the one thing that leapt out to me, however, was just how big a franchiser Hilton was and just how big franchising has been in terms of driving growth at Hilton and um, Hilton only got into the franchising game in a significant way 20 years ago Um, it bought promise in the US, it was it was still then the divided company that was just the American bit of Hilton that bought Promise, but that that got it into the franchising game, and and boy has it as it got into it in a big way subsequently, and now if you look at in in Europe, uh, more than half of Hilton's European rooms, fifty one percent to be exact, um, are now franchises franchised, and um, this is actually more than Accor, which is at forty eight percent, and that is quite a surprise, I think, and um, and I think, but what you've seen with Hilton is is how successful it's been at organic growth and that it's been clearly driven by franchising and the question is I think um, for other hoteliers is are they going to have to have the emphasis on franchising to the extent that Hilton has to sort of keep up in if, if they are determined to drive forward their their organic growth. We'll finish this week we'll speak to you again soon bye for now.